This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Isabel Engler. Yeah, I couldn't find anything on the market at the time. And then I think in the last episode that I was um, on, I had mentioned about wanting to be able to contribute um, because I'm bilingual um, in English and Mandarin. I wanted to use those skills to kind of reach uh, families and children who might speak both languages or maybe the kids know English, but the parents only know Mandarin kind of thing, right? So being able to kind of increase the access um, to music and music therapy in general um, to those families. So. Anyway, so I think I spoke about that kind of like far away dream at the time a year ago, but um, I was inspired to create this book after that. So I started working on it pretty much uh, immediately after, um, but it's here. So um, it's actually available now, at least for the first book. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self-care community, links to all of our social media, and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today. And you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you so much for being here today and being with me over here at the Music Therapy Chronicles. I know there are so many awesome podcasts out there, so many other ways you could be spending your time. So thank you for choosing to be with me on the show. Uh, If you're interested in podcast suggestions, you know, other music therapy related, clinician related podcasts to listen to, um, Get on the newsletter for MTPC at mtpodcastcollective.com. I send out a weekly newsletter with a podcast spotlight. So uh, it's not the type of, I'm not a huge weekly newsletter fan because sometimes I feel like there's my inbox is getting really flooded. But the way I do this newsletter is it's just an episode of a podcast I've listened to recently and telling you why I think you should listen to it too and links to get to it. Um, So if you're yeah, looking for other podcasts to add to your playlists and library, then hop on that newsletter for some suggestions. Okay, today's episode is an interview with Isabel Engler, who was on the podcast. Um, 
almost a year ago, I guess. She was on episode 141. And since then, she has completed her music therapy training, passed the board exam, and become an author of an amazing book that she's going to tell us all about today. And like I say so many times in this interview, this book is an awesome culmination of all of her specific skill sets, pulling them together and incorporating her knowledge of Mandarin and music and product creation and illustration and um, just just really cool, a cool way to use her skills to bring this idea to life. And she shares how she came up with this idea, some advice for other people looking to create products and books, as well as um, how we can all use this amazing resource that she has made. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Isabel. All right, Isabel, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles, or welcome back, I should say. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm excited to um, get an update on all the cool stuff you've been doing because you were on episode, I think, 141 is what I what I found when I was double checking that. So what have you been up to? All right, I guess. Sure. Yeah, you can tell us what I've been up to, but for someone who hasn't heard that episode, you could tell them who you are to start with, too, I guess. <laughs> that would make sense. Sure. Yeah, my name is Isabel Engler. I am a board-certified music therapist based in Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. I think the last time I was on the show, I was still in the middle of completing my final practicum and about to head into my internship for music therapy. And I've since completed my internship and got board-certified. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's a big deal. Thanks. Yeah, so you... This for anyone, um, again, who hasn't heard that episode, music therapy is your second career, right? So just like for perspective, you've shifted over. Um, yeah. People can go back and hear that story unless there's something you want to throw in here. Yeah, just formerly in tech industry and playing music as a performer, as a pianist, and, you know, finally discovered the world of music therapy and decided that it was what I was called to do. So I um, went back to school, went back to the whole certification process, which I'm sure a lot of the audience is familiar with. Yeah, cool. So I will link that for people to, to hear more about that. But tell us what you've been up to, aside from doing your practicum, taking the board exam, you know, all that like very non-time consuming stuff. <laughs> yeah, I had been working on a book or at least the first book of the series. Um, it's called Learning, Song Learning Songs with Colors, The Fishing Song. And this is a bilingual singable book um, based off of traditional nursery rhyme that is in Mandarin, but this is retold and reimagined. So I, I've been working with a illustrator who's based in Taiwan and really making this into a singable book, but both in English and Mandarin. And at the end of the book, it also includes a adaptive piano score so that way people with no or limited musical experience can actually learn to play because it's color-coded i love that i love and that so think, much oh thanks thanks so much <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say that like i think 
in the beginning when I was actually just searching on the market, like I was Google, I mean, Googling and also searching on Amazon.com, I was looking for some Mandarin um, singable songs because I mean, we've, we've used it in English, like You Are My Sunshine. There's like really famous like Board Book or Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or Oh May, you know, oh May Donald Had a Farm. Uh, sometimes we used it in sessions with kids, but then I just couldn't find anything in Chinese or, or Mandarin. Mm. And so I, I wanted to use it because there was a little patient whose family only spoke Mandarin. And, you know, she was in a state where she was very shut, shut down from the staff was coming in and she was going through a hard time. So I went in and I sang something, you know, that I had to pull it from the back of my mind because I hadn't used it in sessions with other patients with clients. But once I start seeing this Mandarin nursery rhyme, she really opened up and her personality came back in. So that's kind of like one prompt um, for me to kind of look for additional resources in Chinese or Mandarin, but I couldn't find it at the time. Sorry, that's kind of like a little backtrack story. Sorry. No, I love that. I love so many parts of that, um, that you were able to provide that to someone who, you know, a young person specifically who wasn't getting that connection that you had that connect. And then not only did you look for the resources, but there's plenty of times when people look for resources and can't find them. But so you decided to create this resource, which is amazing. And I, at the very beginning, you said this is going to be a series, which I am so excited to see happen, but we'll focus on this one for now. Sure. Yeah, I couldn't find anything on the market at the time. And then I think in the last episode that I was um, on, I had mentioned about wanting to be able to contribute um, mm-hmm. because I'm bilingual uh, in English and Mandarin. I wanted to use those skills to kind of reach uh, families and children who might speak both languages or maybe the kids know English, but the parents only know Mandarin kind of thing, right? So be able to kind of increase the access um, to music and music therapy in general um, to those families. So. Anyway, so I think I spoke about that kind of like far away dream at the time a year ago, but um, I was inspired to create this book after that. So I started working on it pretty much uh, immediately after, um, but it's here. So um, it's actually available now, as, at least for the first book. I love it. So for the audience, she's showing a picture or holding up the book, I should say. Do you want to like describe it, the what the yeah. cover looks like for the audience who can't see it? Sure. So the cover has a little girl on the boat um, out in the sea, and she is kind of watching a flying fish flying over. And so traditionally, this song is actually said, and I think usually people's um, perception is that it's a male fisherman out to the sea, you know, fishing song. Um, but I really wanted to make this um, a little girl out on an adventure rather than a traditional like male uh, fisherman who's adult and grown up. Um, out just you know doing his duties so <laughs> so here this little girl is with a puppy and um, kind of like exploring the world um, around her and being fascinated by this uh, fish that she was watching so cool okay so the original idea for this I guess you had you had this lullaby in Mandarin that already existed and then you've recreated it to be a story of a little girl on an adventure fishing is that my understanding yes. of all these parts yes. yes okay I love how creative that is yes tell tell me more about how you made that that was your decision to make that connection and where it's taken you yeah so this little girl goes out and then you know the the song itself I feel like it it's um, meaning, meaningful to me because um, it talks about like 
you know, not being afraid of um, the great um, white waves, right? And then um, how it's worked, you know, sh she's working hard to kind of paddle and going out to the sea. Um, at the end, like she's, she's able to kind of like catch the fish and bring the fish back. And um, I really think that it kind of inspired me because like, look, you know, for a little kid where you think about the lyric analysis of it, right? It's like facing a challenge or facing an unknown. Um, and she could go out like, you know, a, a big ocean, you know, not knowing what's ahead and or the danger of it, but she's able to kind of like overcome that challenge and come back and knowing that she's stronger than she was before. So some of those messages to me like was meaningful. And I thought, okay, if I can kind of like use this as a chance to like talk to little kids or sing to little kids um, and with the illustrations, like with proper, like, you know, emotive illustrations and, um, and capturing like the world in the ocean life or on the boat. Um, I thought that could be really good for like conversations. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about how empowering that would be first that you're able to further connect with people who speak Mandarin and, you know, otherwise might be, um, not be able to connect with clinicians if they, if they don't have that. And then to tell them the story of a little girl who overcomes her fears and like I'm just thinking about how empowering that is and I myself have found a lot more books in the past few years where I've tried to like gear towards that type of feel um and more books I feel like have been coming out with that and I haven't seen any in Chinese doesn't mean they're not there but I I love how you've taken taken all of these elements and put them together to create an amazing resource for all of us. And I'm curious if you took, if you've taken this lullaby uh, in Mandarin, was it challenging to translate it to our Western musical system? That's a good yeah. question. Yes. I, I, it, that's a really great question because I think um, even people like my mother, she's like, oh yeah, it's just a quick translation, you know, on your part, right? Like, but then I told her, actually, that's the part that took me the longest because, you know, I wanted to make it sound like a song too, right? Like for an mm -hmm. English speaker. And so not just like a literal translation, but I was thinking about rhyming. I was thinking about like how a whole sentence would flow to the syllable and to the song, like that already has a tune, right? So yeah. um, it took me a while, even though it's, it's so short, really. Um, but I, I just was iterating it and like, thinking, you know, sleeping over it and then trying to revise it again. And I was recording myself singing different versions of different verses just to hear like how that would fit in with each other. So that actually took me the longest, surprisingly. I am not surprised by that, but that's also because <laughs> I am musically inclined. And yeah, I so I remember when I was in undergrad, we had, and forgive my ignorance, we had a Chinese band performance come and play and so they had tra traditional instruments like they're obviously their scales are different the distance between notes is different everything is just so different and I remember that was the first time I'd been able to see live music from a different culture and then the next day in class we talked about how that doesn't necessarily translate to the piano like like our music is just so different so I commend you for picking up that challenge to not only say how am I going to translate the words here to make them make sense and make it actually musical not just a literal translation but also to take the actual music put it in a way where someone can play it on the piano and adapt it to someone who's not very 
proficient on piano. That's, that's so much work. Um, and what a way to, to really use your specific skill set and your combination of skills. That's so cool. I love that. So kind of you to say that. Yeah. So where, what is your like vision for this book? What do you hope happens when people find or use this book? Yeah. So I'm hoping that the parents would find it to be an interesting book to help the kids learn not only, you know, music, right, but also English and Mandarin, if they want to kind of interchange or they wanted to encourage more of uh, the Chinese or Mandarin um, practice, then that's a resource. But also because it has music, right? So hopefully, because it's preferred music to someone who may have heard this, you know, from their, you know, parents, preferred music makes them more motivated to mm-hmm. try out on the piano. Um, I had a, a friend who tried it with her young children, um, like three and five. And they say that like, because they, they heard the song before, they're very eager to try piano, even though like otherwise when they were going through traditional piano lessons, they were kind of like getting to a point where like, eh, like they didn't want to practice anymore. So my hope is that other families, like it would be something that's refreshing for them if they were already studying music, but um, to pick up again, to try something different, but also for families who don't know music, they can realize that um, they can, they can actually play the music too. So it's, it's not such something that's like, oh, I need to have like these expensive lessons in order to do. Yeah. And You've really taken, ther- oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that like maybe for therapists who are working with kids who, who come from that bilingual, like background, I mean, Mandarin and English, um, this is something that could be fun for the kids and connect with them or their families too. Yeah. Oh, good. I was thinking you've really taken this accessibility piece. It's like all the way you like, you want everyone to be able to pick up this resource and use it. Um, which I think is again, commendable. And I don't have any students I'm thinking of as a clinician. I don't have any students who, to my knowledge, speak Mandarin. Um, but there's so many other resources out there with other languages. And so this is awesome to be able to add to my toolbox or other people to add to their toolbox to say, hey, like sometimes we're going to sing in Spanish and sometimes we're going to sing in Mandarin and sometimes we might use French. And like, you're just adding to that toolbox so much more uh, in a way that no one had that tool before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, so that's so true because like for me, I'm just thinking about as a mom of two small kids, like I, I don't speak Spanish, but we live in Texas where Spanish is actually very prominent. Mm-hmm. And so I know that um, even from preschool, they start kind of introducing some songs in Spanish. And for me, like, I'm curious to learn. Like, I want to learn. Like, so that way for me, like, even though I don't speak Spanish, I'm actually interested in collecting like children's books. That's English and Spanish bilingual, right? And so, um, and then I can think maybe for a teacher who, who if they want to incorporate like multilingual materials mm-hmm. in the classroom, um, they might look at different languages, but um, that's just kind of some thoughts. So cool. So cool. I love how much thought you have put into this. I love it so much. So where else, what else do you want to tell us about this book? Um, this book, well, I kind of mentioned about the adaptive scores at the end. Um, it, it shows the color coded keyboard. And then with some instructions, um, oh, yeah. like 
like how to how to really find the colors right and then also um you can either just you know use it as a guide next to the piano keys or you can use like dry erase markers or, or stickers depending on the comfort level of the person playing the piano um and then be able to kind of follow all the color codes um in yeah. the score and to follow along and I'm, then I asked, yeah go ahead I'm sorry I'm I'm looking at that and thinking that looks very similar to the colors of boom whackers and that could be yes. an awesome way to incorporate boom whackers. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yes, boom whackers because it, it, it kind of goes in a rainbow, right? Like from yeah. the radiance, from red is, is C. Is C, yeah. Yes. And it looks yes. like your C is red. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then D goes, um, is orange and E is yellow. So that's right. It's possible to use it with boom whackers. Yeah. So for the people listening, it, it looks very similar to like a boom whacker score with the letter or the letter, the the notes have a color on the staff. Yeah. Cool. That's another use. Yeah. Doesn't have to be limited to piano. What were you going to say before I interrupted you? <laughs> oh, you know, it's just like there's some notes for for the person using the book with a child. Like, you know, if even if they don't play the piano, like, you know, they, they can follow the code, the color codes to do it or where they can like point at the notes and help a child and then sing along. Kind of just like encourage and empower the caregivers or the teachers who may not be trained in music or music therapy um, to be able to like incorporate some of those strategies to help the child um, and be able to be more connected to it. Yeah. So you can read it, you can sing it, you have the pictures, you can play the music with it on multiple instruments. I'm thinking even a lot of xylophones have similar yes. colors to that. So, yes. so many ways to engage with this. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you feel like we should know? Um, not particularly on this book. I am hoping to work on additional ones for the series. So it'll yeah. come out. Um, in the future um what do you, like what um other muses what other inspirations do you have for like this series are they different languages are they different lullabies yeah i think they're going to be at least the initial ones uh, or the in, in immediate term ones i'm thinking about mandarin and english bilingual for a couple more nursery rhymes um, yeah. but the theme the theme is going to change and then after that I want to I would love to um, expand to different languages as well oh so cool I love this so you're, I am picturing like a teacher who has your whole series and like you know you can do different lesson plans on them or like different months on different things so you must have really enjoyed this process if you want to keep doing it I'm assuming yeah I I mean I enjoy I think the, the ideation to actually like, you know, creating and to actually like, okay, seeing that result in my hand. Um, that's something that I did as a former product manager, really building products too. So I think I do enjoy that process. And I've learned so much from this process. Honestly, like it took a long time. Like I, I think I finished my script at the end of last year and then handed it off right to my illustrator. And then with minor, you know, revisions back and forth, our, our, um, our own like discussions and revisions made. But then by the time we send it over to printer, which is um, an international company that's not even based in the US for like the larger scale printing process, I, I realized that that process takes a long time too because they come back with their suggestions on like, I don't know, the formatting, the typesetting, yeah. and you know, the you know, all the sizing and how the cover, you know, it's 
logistics um, details that I thought it would take a very short time to finish, but realizing actually like the whole process takes a while. And so I've learned so much. And so hopefully the next time it will be much shorter (laughs) Um, now that I've kind of gone through the process myself. But I do want to kind of not just make a standalone like one book kind of like lonely, right? So hopefully make it into a series and have multiple. So that way like, okay, maybe somebody is not really into ocean life. That's okay. Um, Maybe we'll have a different theme. Um, eventually hopefully different languages so it's not just you know two Mandarin speakers yeah oh I love how you tied in first that you were a product manager because that that skill set I'm sure played a ton into this and I've talked to a few music therapists who have created books but I am I'm wondering if you have any advice or insight for someone like me who would have no idea what to do with creating a book or creating anything. I would just say, I have this idea. So yeah, what advice would you have for them or other surprises that came up along the way other than um, timing, like you said? Wow, that's such a good question. Yeah, like, okay, let me think about that's this. That's a big question. So, yeah, so I think for me, yeah, timing, that was a big thing to really... I mean, you know, the whole process took me maybe eight months, but then actually like majority of it is actually working the printer. And so for a person who's interested in creating a book, um, it depends on the printer you work with. It doesn't have to be an overseas printer, right? Like you can simply pick someone local and get the print and you have one copy in hand and that's done. And for me, I was really particular about the type of paper that's being used, the type of color, you know, um, ink that's being used mm. I wanted the format to have end pages like this inside a hardcover rather yeah. than just like white, white and then go into so I, I was particular in terms of the design of it and so um, some services that are very accessible which you know I think there's Barnes and Noble Press and Amazon has like um, KDP and there's Ingram Spark I'm not affiliated with any of these companies. So just a disclaimer, I just know that those are some of the the big companies here. You can submit a book, like a digital copy and then get it printed, but they're more limited in terms of like what they can do with the sizing and uh, paper options. So um, there are so many ways that you could go. And then there's also, you know, factors of your budget. You know, you can think about um, the cost per unit which is per book, right? And so mm-hmm. if the cost per unit is high or you know, let's say X, um, then you have to think about how much you would sell in order to make that little pro- profit, right? And you know, let's say like, okay, there's a difference between you profit like a dollar from a book versus 10 cents, right? So um, those are just some factors for somebody who's interested in uh, independently publish um, a book to think about. Um, so yeah, those, those are just some commentaries that I can think about. Um, you would have to get an ISBN number um, in order to have a barcode and that way that helps you to um, be generated into like distributors and different channels that you might wanna sell from. And that process is not too difficult. Um, you would go online, there's only one company in the whole US um, to sell ISBN numbers. Ah. Yeah. So sorry, I would, some logistics that I had to research. And kind of no, sorry, I would not have known any of that. So that's really cool to know for, for anyone. And also it's awesome to live, be living during a time where creating things like books is more accessible. You know, we might not know where to start or necessarily the process, but like 
there are so many resources out there so people can create these things, you know, our ideas Absolutely. don't have to just stay in our heads anymore. Absolutely. And I, I think um, I have a friend who's a designer who used to be in the print, you know, print industry. And she says that like, even just like 10 years ago, um, a lot of people prefer to go through the traditional like publishing because mm-hmm. there were more limited. There was just not as many options for independent publishers. Right? So um, it's just harder for people who want to you know, create a book back then. And then now there are so many more services available. So it's easier for people to you know, want to do it on their own rather than submit to a big name publisher, but then wait for months and months and then maybe they'll accept it, maybe they won't. <sighs> That sounds so stressful. (laughs) So I'm also really curious what it was like to work with an illustrator, both like as the person where this is your idea, this is kind of like your baby, but also um, you have a musical background. I don't know what your visual art background is, but kind of what was that dynamic like? Oh, that's, thanks for asking. So for me, it was, it was a fun experience, but I just wanted to mention like, I did, so in college, I studied computing and the arts. So a lot of my classes were actually art classes and also like how to be able to make programs for like apps and for, to create like installation, right? So I have some like connections to studying art, but I wouldn't say I I was not like an art major because I was music, right? So it's just a major, which I I had a music emphasis, but for some of the GEs, I had to take some art classes. And so, um, but as a former product manager, a lot of what I built, I would define like the requirements and features, right? But then I would work with a graphic designer, like a UX mm-hmm. designer to actually like kind of go through the visual aspect of things before we like, okay, hand off to engineers to actually build it. So then that's what it looks like on the web. So coming back to creating a book and working with an illustrator, and this is a little bit different because once you design and finalize the, the print and the, the visual, you send off to the printer, you can be like, okay, I have a thousand copies sitting somewhere and I want to change it. Now. It's different from web-based or cloud-based um, yeah. products in, in that sense when it comes to design. So a lot of decisions um, had to be made and you really had to be sure about it, at least for me. And so initially I created this PowerPoint slideshow, kind of like drawing the type of visuals that I personally feel connected to, kind of like the style. And then mm-hmm. I had very rough um, sketches by myself, like kind of like a storyboard. Like I, I am not, I'm not like someone who paints or draws well, but I just kind of tried to convey my idea of like, hey, like, because like anybody who hears a song, like they, they could go in so many directions, but I wanted to convey that like, I want this little girl out on the adventure. I want to be able to show like the sea life. I want to be able to really convey her emotions while going through this adventure or, you know, obstacle. So um, here's this, the, this, this spread, I want this emotion and keyword things to consider. Doesn't have to be all the animals I listed, but things to consider. Um, and then, you know, next spread, this is the key thing, you know, keyword that I wanted to convey. So I kind mm. of kick off with a meeting, going through my like slideshow with an illustrator who is actually based in Taiwan. So we did this like cross time zone, like Zoom meeting to figure this out. And then she went off kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll do the initial sketches. I'll come back to it. And then, you know, if you have any ideas, then we can like revise it. So she came back with the sketches. Um, sometime later, I gave my feedback and then she went off made revision that once we both agree on the sketches that she's made, then 
then it's moving on to like actually painting it and you know scanning and calibrating and coming back and then we work on the typesetting um which is actually like typesetting itself took uh, some time as well because like choosing different font different font size it sounds very simple but you know that affects the whole visual effect as well too and i was kind of like a stickler about like <laughs> the font size where it's placed and you know there's there's Chinese, there's also Pinyin, which is the pronunciations of it. And there's also mm -hmm. English. So in some ways, it's three types of language. I mean, we're three, three types of fonts that's on the page. So I, I was really particular about like, okay, I don't want to create too much of a visual color, but I still want, you know, whoever is reading which line be able to, um, it's, you know, it's, it's legible basically, and still be able to see it very clearly. So those are a lot of factors that I was considering. So we took some back and forth. Um, and sometimes, you know, with the illustrator, they come back with the design, they're doing their best job, right? They're like, hey, here it is. They're hoping that there, there's no, no revisions need to be made, but, uh, you know, we just kind of work together. Like, hey, I really love X, Y, Z. And here's some other parts that, um, and I, that's what I was hoping or thinking of. Can we try this and that? So that's kind of like the process I did. Yeah. Oh, cool. I am thinking about um, anyone who uses Canva to make social media probably knows what you mean. We're like, you think it's simple and then you start putting it all onto the page in this case. And you're like, this is not simple. Yeah, <laughs> so that's awesome yeah. that you could go back and forth. But also I know when I have created something and then I show it to someone, the fresh set of eyes can either say like, oh yeah, I'm getting what you're going for. Or they can say, no, my eye went here or I got confused by this. So it's cool that you had two people at least looking at these going back and forth and, and testing out, you know, what are, what am I actually noticing versus what did the artist think, you know, yeah. was going to, was going to stand out or be clear and wasn't clear, you know, all that stuff. That's a real a real team effort and I'm sure it takes a lot of trust on both parts yeah for sure and I know there are some like children's book on the market in English where like the artist like the illustrator is the author and mm. I mean that's that's really impressive to me right because they're by themselves really like creating this and typesetting and, and the script and all that stuff so like you said like a team effort like having another person's you know ideas or just perspectives help so much um, and also once I had a proof in hand, uh, like once you have something physical in your hand, it's, it also gives you a different perspective from like a PDF digital, you know, proof as well too. Yeah. I remember like showing the physical proof to like relative and friend, just so that like I can get any feedback that they noticed that I didn't. Um, luckily there was no surprises at all, um, but, uh. I think just getting that a lot of feedback is really important before you commit to like a print, a print run, right? Because yeah. after the print run, then you can't really revise the, the printed versions. So. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear my dog. She's taking a drink now. So that's probably good. Oh. Okay. I was gonna say, it's probably gonna come through uh, if anyone's wondering what that is. Yeah. And, and like you said, because it's print, it's not digital. Like once it's there, it's there. That made me think, is there a digital copy at this point or is it only physical copy? It's only physical copies. I, I, ha I personally have the digital file, but um, I haven't decided to distribute it digitally because I think um, at least with children and we're in the classroom, we're in a session. In my experience, it's a little bit 
more approachable with a kid where they can help yeah. turn the page and they can you know can point versus you know on the iPad. But you know something I might consider in the future. For now, there's only physical. Yeah, copies. it was curiosity. But yeah, there, there is a lot of pressure to feel like you need to get it right in order so that so when it is done, it's done. Um, and I'm wondering if that's how artists usually feel in general with their with their art. You know, in three years. They'll probably have a different idea of what something could or should have been. Um, But that's a good way because if you're creating a series, you know, as you grow and learn over time, it'll be interesting to compare like your first book to your fifth book um, and all the different aspects of that. See your evolution. Yeah. I know even for like YouTubers, like people who look at their first video that they made, they they, Mm -hmm. wow, it's changed so much. So I, I am sure that like, you know, if, and by the time I get to like, if fifth book, like you said, <laughs> I'll look back and I'm sure there will be so much like, oh, okay. Uh, hopefully a lot of progress has been made, um, improvements been made. Yeah. But it's awesome to be able to see that like as a person, how you've grown. Um, and again, I can't say enough how much I admire how, how many different aspects you've put into this one resource that someone who picks it up might not be able to um, appreciate. So thank you. Thank you for, for doing that for all of us to benefit from. Oh, of course. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we do the rapid fire? Not at this time. No? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Do you remember any of the rapid fire questions? I remember some. <laughs> yeah. All right. Has it, has it changed? No, I, sometimes I think I should change them, but I like, I have not felt inspired by any other questions. Does that make no, sense? No, they're great. Yeah, yeah, no, they're great. <laughs> if anyone listening has like rapid fire question suggestions, then you can message me and let me know. I'm, I'm interested. It's, I've been doing the podcast for like three and a half years. So I guess it's probably time to switch something up. Different <laughs> questions. Thanks. We'll see if your answers have changed. Okay. This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC, where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. All of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model, where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self-study towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section, which includes an office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice. You can find all the Music Therapy Chronicles pod courses on our website, musictherapychronicles.com, and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at MTPC's website, mtpodcastcollective.com. Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase.
coffee or tea? I need my morning cup of coffee, but I really appreciate tea, like loose leaf tea, hojicha, uh, mm-hmm. matcha, green tea. But um, I always start my day with a cup of coffee and I appreciate going to check out different coffee shops. So I guess it's both. Yeah, good for you. Early bird or night owl? By nature, I'm really a night owl. And that's when all my creative juice flows. But uh, as a mom of two small children, I actually have been trained to get up earlier than I naturally would, probably. So um, I have to get up in the morning to get everybody ready. But I like to stay up, but I just nowadays have to go to bed earlier so I can get up early. Yeah. Something you would tell your younger self. This one, I don't know if it has changed from the last episode, but really just embrace your own unique strengths, I think, because I, I think growing up, I always felt like a little different. Sometimes I don't always fit in um, and I would feel very self-conscious about it. But I think now looking back, I would tell my younger self that like, whatever unique, that is your strength and you can embrace it and really be comfortable with it. Easier said than done, Tom. I think this book is a great example of how you took all the unique aspects of you and your experiences and put them together personally. (laughs) Your music therapy elevator speech. Using music to address non-musical goals. So that's how I would start off. And then depending on like the person um, listening, like if they have little kids with them or if they're like elderly or, you know, the setting that we're in, then I will start adding additional details to kind of address it right in the moment. Yeah. Your favorite self-care practice. I really like going out to the nature, um, like taking a walk in the forest, taking a hike. Um, in Texas, it's been summer here. You know, summer lasts for five months here. So it's been a little bit hot to be out there. So um, I have been just going out early in the morning or later in the day. So that kind of to avoid the heat. I also appreciate playing piano that is not related to music therapy not related to anything I have to prepare for a session Mm -hmm. so that could look like chamber music um, piano violin and cello trio scores um, reading through it or pulling out some older pieces like solo piano repertoire to kind of play through um, that that's those two are kind of uh, my go-to self-care strategies yeah I like both those something that's currently adding value to your life so I'm actually enrolled in the master's program um, at St. Mary of the Woods College in Indiana, and it's a hybrid program. So I'm able to do my academic coursework online. And then, you know, there's like three times a year that we go on campus to kick off the coursework and do uh, different things uh, for the school. So I'm reading a lot for, for actually taking the course, uh, master's level like coursework um, but actually, I find it to be really enriching. And when I'm sitting here reading like the academic journals or textbooks, it's still very um, interesting to me. So I, I would say that that's adding value to my life. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Good. All right, your favorite intervention or song to use in a session? Oh, this may have changed. So um, because I spend the last, I don't know, I guess nine months, in a children's hospital. 
um, in terms of music therapy, right? So um, I think I've come to the point where like, I think my favorite intervention is improvisation. I, I love just getting into music um, with a patient or the client I'm working with. And sometimes like a kid might be at the keyboard. Like they're like, ah, I've never played the piano before. I'm like, hey, you can try the black keys. And then I start accompanying them, kind of following their flow. And then all of a sudden they're like, what? This actually sounds really good. So I, I love using improvisation to kind of meet the kids where they're at, but also like kind of like being able to empower them. And then sometimes it's it's not necessarily like playing a duet together, but if that's okay too, sometimes it's on the guitar. I'm accompanying them on the piano or maybe they're singing or um, it just can go so many ways, right? I'm singing, you know, making up words to guitar accompaniment. So I, I just think that there are so, um, so many ways to use improvisation. And I would say that's my favorite right now. Yeah. That's also my go-to love improv. <laughs> cool. So last question is where can the listeners find you and connect with you and tell us all the places that we can find the book. Yeah. Thank you. Um, on Instagram, the username is music and tales. So it's, it's one word. And then uh, the website is music You can also email me at hello at music all right. And is that where the book is? Yes. I will have that all linked so people can find you, find this amazing resource you've created, stay up to date when the rest of your series comes out, which will be really cool to see. No pressure. I'm not, I'm not trying to put <laughs> you on a timeline or anything. I just think that that's awesome that you have enjoyed the process so much that you want to keep doing it. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for making the time to talk with me today and tell us all about what you've been up to. Yeah, likewise. It's been an honor to be back. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you got a lot out of it, of course. Uh, music <laughs> links to everything will be in the show notes to all of Isabel's um, pages and website and of course this amazing book that she has created and make sure you're following her so that you stay up to date for when the rest of her series comes to fruition I think that is absolutely amazing that she is envisioning this as a whole series um, and I can't wait to see how many people it supports and empowers and uh, who learn from what she is putting out into the world. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I will see you in the next one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, our self-care community, and our CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. 
We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode, and I'll see you in the next one.